In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the first Sunday in Christmas. We uh, will have two Sundays in Christmas this year. Uh, It depends on when Christmas arrives in the week, whether we get one or two. It's also the second day of Christmas. Remember that Christmas is a season that lasts 12 days. And so uh, we are in the second day of that season. It's also, as we've said, St. Stephen's Day. So we have uh, an additional celebration uh, today. As we are given over these 12 days to contemplate the mystery of God becoming man and his birth to the Virgin Mary, as we contemplate it, the Lord gives us several different ways to think about his birth and his um, mission of salvation, his plan for us in salvation. He provides for us ways of understanding through analogy. And these analogies make their way through various books of Scripture. There's the analogy of the shepherd and the sheep, which of course at Jesus the Good Shepherd we're very fond of and we talk a lot about. It's uh, good for us to understand what it is to be a sheep and what it is to be a shepherd. There's also the analogy of husband and wife that we see from Genesis to Revelation. And indeed, Scripture itself culminates with the bride of, uh, with the wedding of the groom and the bride, with Christ and his church. We also have the analogy of a parent and of child. And so we have lots of ways to understand this relationship that we have with God. Today, in the scriptures that we've read from Isaiah chapter 61, and then uh, this passage from Galatians chapter 3, we're given uh, two different analogies, the analogy of husband and wife, and then the analogy of the heir and of adoption. And these are two analogies that I believe work together, that come into a harmony for us. So let's first look at the analogy of husband and wife that we see in Isaiah chapter 61. The prophet Isaiah, some 700 years before Christ, is preparing us for the Messiah. He's telling us that God himself is going to come and save Israel, save his people, and that he is going to do this uh, through the birth of a child born to a virgin. It's uh, made very clear in Isaiah. And the relationship that he establishes between this Messiah, between God himself and his people, is the one of the groom and of the bride. Now, uh, today we are all going to be brides, right? I'm going to be a bride. You're going to be a bride. We're all going to be heirs. We're all going to be sons of God as well. So uh, this is the relationship that we're called into. It's very important for us to think about the good marriages that we've known when we've seen people who have exemplified uh, marriage. It's also important for us to understand that there is no perfect marriage except for the one that we see exemplified in Scripture. So when we want to learn about what good marriage looks like, the first place we really need to look and to prove as our foundation is uh, these passages, such as Isaiah 61, where we see this relationship of marriage exemplified. Of course, God is the groom, and God's people are the bride. Men, the groom has a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work for the groom, and it starts with him. It starts with the groom and his response to the bride. What does the groom do? The groom rejoices, he exults, the groom wears the crown, and he delights in his bride. 
So it starts with the groom delighting over the bride. That is the groom's job, is to delight. It's not uh, when we feel like it. It's not when it's convenient. This is the role that the groom has um, to provide. The role of the bride then is to make herself ready for the groom, to make herself ready to receive the groom. She uh, prepares herself, she prepares her body, she bathes, she prepares the bridal chamber, she prepares her clothes, she prepares a house for them to live in, and she prepares herself uh, to be in righteousness to receive the groom. She adorns herself. So the role that we have to play is to prepare ourselves for the groom and to do that we have to know what kind of a groom we have we have to know who he is so that we can prepare properly and of course we read in isaiah that our groom is righteous uh, that our groom is a groom of justice that our groom is one of praise and of salvation and so that is what we're preparing ourselves for we're preparing ourselves uh, for righteousness we're re- preparing ourselves for a groom that upholds uh, justice it's very important that we be ready to receive his love and exaltation there are many people perhaps you've noticed this uh, that are uh, find it very difficult to receive love that find it very difficult even to receive a compliment There are some people you'll try to give them a compliment and they constantly will move the compliment aside. They try to deflect the compliment. They try to deflect praise. They won't receive it. They won't simply say thank you. Right? And receive that uh, that praise. Now, of course, there's some praise that people try to give that's manipulative. Right? There are some people that practice flattery. Right? That's not a compliment. That's somebody pouring on to try to get something out of you. But there is that simple compliment, that simple praise of good work and accomplishment that we need to be able to receive. We also need to be able to receive that love that the Lord would give us. And if we're not practiced in our relationships with one another to allow somebody to love us and to, uh, to hold us as, uh, as precious, we're not going to be able to receive that from the Lord. At least we're not going to be able to without practice. So we need to be able to allow ourselves to be loved, to receive the love of the groom, because the groom would exult over us. We need to prepare ourselves to receive the love of God, because all that we do in the Christian life, all that we do in the Christian life is a response of God's love for us. He does all the salvation and all the love. Our job is to respond. So again, what kind of a groom that we, do we have? We, we see uh, in Isaiah these basic passages, and then in St. John's Gospel here in chapter 1, we get a heavy dose of who this groom is, a really deep theological understanding of who this groom is that we're preparing to receive into our hearts. This isn't the Christmas story that we typically expect. We're used to hearing, of course, on Christmas Eve, Luke's gospel with shepherds and with angels and with the the magi and the stable. John does something very different when he describes the birth of Christ. He goes deeply theological into understanding who uh, Jesus is. And he establishes, uh, much like a lawyer would, that Jesus is God incarnate, that he is creator God, and he, he, he makes sure that there is no way that we can kind of try to fit in there that he's somebody other than the God that created heaven and earth, right? Like there's other creator gods. He makes it clear. He says, 
All things were made through him. And then he clarifies, if there was anything made, it was made by him. There was nothing made that was made that wasn't made by him. So don't think that there's other creator gods. Don't think that he's separate from other creator gods. He is creator God himself. He is the God of Genesis. And of course, he uses that phrase in the beginning to remind us, I'm talking about the God in Genesis here, in case you were wondering. So John hammers home and makes clear that this is the God who has made heaven and earth, who has come to be born. So that's the first thing that we have to know about our groom, is that he is creator God himself. Then in verse 6 of chapter 1 of John's gospel, he clarifies who John the Baptist was. Because as we've talked about before, John the Baptist looked like he was fulfilling the role of Messiah. His parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, are a perfection of what we would expect the Messiah's parents to look like. You remember that they are holy and righteous ones, that uh, Elizabeth looks so much like Hannah, she looks so much like Sarah, she looks so much like um, the parents of Samson uh, and and. And Zechariah being this holy priest and he's in the the holy of holies when he hears from the angel that John is going to be born right. It seems like this is the perfect setup for the birth of the Messiah. And so we have to hear what John's role was that his his job is to prepare us for the coming of the Messiah. His job is to do this preparation work to lay the groundwork to prepare us for baptism and for reception of the Messiah. But that he is not the Messiah. Right? And, and he says this very clearly. He was not the light. He was not the light. Which emphasizes for us again that Christ is light. He doesn't give us light. He doesn't have some light that he gives us. He is light. Just as he is salvation and he is joy and he is love. So we know that John is not the Messiah. Then we understand, starting in verse 9, that as Christ is the light, he is coming to adopt us. He's coming to prepare us to be children of God. And adoption is at the heart of the scriptures. This institution of adoption is uh, at the center. Why do we need to be adopted? Because we are not children of God uh, by nature. A lot of people in the world like to say, well, we're all children of God. No, we're not. We're creatures. We're like dogs and cats. We're above them and that we were made in the image of God. So we have the ability to attune our wills to the will of God in a way that another animal does not have that ability, right? Dogs and cats rely on instinct. We have the ability to perceive the will of God and to do things that are sacrificial, right? To lay down our lives in the will of God. But we are creatures who are made. John makes it very clear, right? He was not made. Things were made through him, but he was not made. So we are not children of God, but we can be adopted and made children of God. We can be adopted, right? How do we do that? We do that by believing in his name, right? And getting the right to be children of God. And this belief isn't just an idea in the head. Don't get uh, stuck in this idea that belief is something that we have to hold on to. Like we have to have this constant thought process of belief, right? That's not what belief is. Belief is acting, right? We act in obedience, right? This is what Abraham does, right? God tells him to do something and he does it. That's faith. That's belief. So it's obedience and action, So those who are obedient in the actions of Christ, right, who participate in salvation with Christ, who join with him in that, 
are adopted as children of God. And he says, and we become children of Abraham. Remember that, uh, that, that uh, St. John the Baptist had clarified for us that we're not by birth children of Abraham, right? He says, God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones, right? You're as good as a rock until you are adopted and you believe that as you are obedient to the call of Christ. When you do that, now you're becoming adopted and brought into God's family. You're taken from the family of creation and you're put into the family of deification. Now we're entering into that process of being deified, of being justified, of being made into the family of God, right? Just like that left-hand margin of our columns. We're made straight according to the ways of God. And so that's the process of adoption that he uh, brings to us, and he does that because he is the fullness of grace upon grace, grace and truth, right? And he makes God known to us. He makes the Father known to us through that grace that pours through the Holy Spirit. He reveals himself to us through that process of baptism in the Holy Spirit so that we know who God is and we are able to attune our wills through the power of the Spirit to be obedient to God in our call in life. And of course, this is the the analogy that St. Paul uses to describe that process. He uses the analogy of an heir. In Galatians uh, chapter 3, he uses this heir analogy, which, that's a tough one. I think even as modern Americans who don't have a lot of contact with the real world sometimes, we still know what a shepherd is, right? We get sheep, right? Even if we don't live on a farm, we kind of get that idea. We get the idea of husband and wife for the most part, right? But the idea of an heir, that one's tough. It seems to me that in the ancient times, in, in the ancient period, and especially in, in this period of, of history of the nation of Israel that, that John's writing in, the heir, everybody would know, is extremely important for the entire community. The heir is essential. The heir of a kingdom established safety of a kingdom. If a king dies without an heir, everybody knows that's the possibility of civil war. If a family dies, or if a patriarch dies of a family, say you have a large extended family under a patriarch, and there isn't a clear heir, that leaves it open, right, for there to be infighting. And there's nobody who is responsible then, who is the, the, the last person responsible for the crops and for the care of the animals and for the raising of the children and for establishing who's going to be married and who isn't and where the borders of the property are. Can you see how the, the, the patriarch, the head of the family, is so important for the entire extended family, for everything that they do? He's providing that safety and that rule of law for the whole family. We kind of, as Americans, we kind of, uh, you know, that idea of being an heir of inheriting a family business for us is like, oh, you know, we like independence, finding our own way, doing our own thing, right? I don't want to do what my parents did. I want to do it a new way, right? Especially uh, this uh, rise of an understanding of generations. We like to separate ourselves. But for the, the bulk of human history, for the, the vast majority of human history, this relationship, this role of an heir is essential to the establishment of a safe and stable human community. And the understanding is that the, the heir, as a child, would have a governor and a rule of laws that would establish him. 
So sometimes some people try to make uh, grace and salvation through Christ and the law under Moses to be opposed. And that's not what St. Paul talks about at all. He's saying that they work in unison with one another. And there's a time for us to live under the law. And then there's a time for us to live as heirs. So what does that mean? That's kind of like learning the rules of the road, right? You have to know the rules of the road to take your driver's license. You have to learn how to turn left and right and how to signal and where you're supposed to line up your car and how to park and all that stuff. But it doesn't tell you how to get home. It doesn't give you the desire to drive home. You get in your car, you know the rules of the road, but it doesn't tell you where to go. Right? That's the difference between the law of Moses and grace and truth in Jesus Christ. Moses shows you the lines, don't do this and don't do that, but it doesn't give you the desire, the thirst, the will, the the perspective to be the heir, to do the work of God in salvation. Now he doesn't bring us as servants in the process of salvation. He asks us to be adopted and to be his heirs, to participate with him in his process of salvation, of saving his creation from sin. We now are heirs. And just as we're all brides, whether male or female, whether slave or Greek, right? We are all heirs. We are all now given this responsibility, this duty, this process of salvation, to bring salvation to the whole world. And our hearts cry out in doing that. Our hearts cry out through the Spirit, Abba, Father. As heirs, we cry out, Abba, Father. Our very hearts have been changed. It's not the exterior of our lives. We're not reading a rule book to see how it is that we be heirs. But we now have the desire and the heart, the hunger and thirst for righteousness and salvation, pouring up like a fountain out of our spirits as we participate in salvation with our Father in heaven. So that's what we've been given to do. We prepare our hearts as brides. We remove anything that would keep us from God. Any habit, any practice of life, anything that would enter into our lives, we remove it to make room for the bridegroom. We're reminded every day of how it is that we are supposed to know who God is. Every day you have to read your Bible. You're going to miss... But you can't plan on it. Our plan is that we read the scriptures every day. Our plan is that we make time every day to be in prayer with our Father in heaven. Just as, as a married couple, we have to make time for ourselves to be together. A married couple can't just occasionally be together and do things together as, as it works out, right? There's got to be a plan for togetherness. A plan to work together. We can't wander into harmony. We have to have a plan to spend time with the Father so that we would know His will. And we have to wait upon Him knowing that He's going to give us work to do. We all have a job. We've all got a job in the church. Each one of us has a role to play. We all have a role in our families. We all have a role in society. And our role as Christians is as heirs and priests and brides of Christ. When we go into a convenience store, we walk into a house, we drive into a neighborhood, we sit in our living rooms, we are doing all of that as an heir of Christ, 
participating in his work of salvation that flows from our hearts as a fountain, that we might cry, Abba, Father, everywhere, at all times, in every place.